this is Fintech Cappuccino, your Saturday morning podcast with a pinch of espresso on the why and how of fintech. The show is hosted by Brian van Wachem, CEO of RedSnap, and I'm Connie Dorstein, founding partner of Bankify. Hey Kong, we must talk next guest for Fintech Cappuccino. I think that after visionaries and innovators, existing and new age bankers, it's time to talk money. Let's take a look at the investment side. Yeah, it is a great idea and we must, but please not another unicorn oh, debate. No, no. Like, oh, let's build a better and inclusive world and then measure our success only by money. I mean, do you have a rounded human that that can talk money with us up your sleeve? Well, um, yes. Well, I think I have an idea. Who, uh, One who can inspire young fintechers to come? Yeah, yeah? that would be okay. good. Okay, I'll come back to you on this one, yeah? Okay, let's see. Welcome, Allard. So, what makes this a perfect Saturday morning soundtrack for you? Oh, that's interesting. So, um, I'm not one of those people that have had the same music taste forever, and it's a bit, it's a bit all over the place. But this is Shina Williams, and Shina Williams, you should look him up on uh, on Spotify on, because there's a great picture of Shina. I think nobody knows what ha- ever happened to Shina, but it's in his big afro, in his very, uh, very beige suit with a tie on, he's sitting on his little throne, and he was the king of uh, early 70s Nigerian funk. <laughs> That's super okay. cool. It's perfect for a Saturday morning, I can tell you. All right. Okay. And, and, and whilst we're in this groove, uh, what would you normally do on a Saturday morning, Alak? Um, so I've, I've been doing yoga for quite some time. And uh, so every Saturday I go to my yoga class at 10.30 here in Amsterdam. And um, there's a yoga crowd that I, uh, that I meet there every Saturday. So we, we first... Um, do yoga, and then we have some lunch, and that's the perfect way for me to start uh, the weekend. Our guest today is Alak Lugsinger, currently partner at Velocity Capital Fintech Ventures. Investing around the globe, he brings a broad view on the fintech industry, but so much more. His resume reads like a wonderful life of Alak Lugsinger, as he literally looked at business from every possible angle. He founded Zego in the US and trading cars in the Netherlands. Zego sold well, trading cars went bust, and so he rebooted his career as a strategy consultant. Next, he turned to investing and is now leading investments in Europe, US, Africa, and Asia. Buckle up for the ride. Well, we're moving on, Alad. Um, we've known each other for a, a bit, and I've always been struck by your absolute relentless enthusiasm and broad look on life. So let's inspire some of our younger uh, listeners today as well, who feel very often that they have to decide now what they want to become. But when I look at your sort of life journey, um, you know, it can take many terms. So, so let's... Let's go along your, lo- your life journey and then say to me, what did you learn at this stage and then at the next? Because you've been started at the beginning. All right. Now, also, well, it's interesting. I, I decided to, uh, when I was maybe like 16 or 17, I decided I wanted to be a, a journalist. I wanted to be a war correspondent. And um, the, I, I chose a university um, course studies that fit that, I thought, which was polit- uh, political science. And uh, over that time, doing political science, a few things happened. First, the wall fell, and, and nobody saw that coming in whole political science. So that kind of brought the whole, uh, like, um, 
uh, the whole scientific, the scientific factor of uh, <laughs> political science down a, a notch or what. So I decided that, and then I had a, I had a, a teacher, a, a professor there who had been a war correspondent, and he said to me, Allard, you know that war, being a war correspondent is waiting 90% of the time. He said, I, I can't recommend it to you. <laughs> Anyways, all kinds of reasons, I decided to go totally philosophy uh, on political science. So I did political theory and I did philosophy, and I chose to do something that could never get you a job. Um, <laughs> and then I, I, when, I, when, I, when I finished that... Um, I had done uh, enormous amounts of, of very fun things and some serious things while I was studying, and I, I but I, I decided that I still needed to do some calculus and, um, and learn a bit, bit more about business because I thought that might be interesting to go into. So I went to the London School of Economics, and that's actually what they taught me uh, to do a little bit of math. And um, and then I found a job and I became a, became a consultant, but with a very weird background. And one thing I wanted to say is that you know if you you can have a weird background, but you need then to be the kind of the the exotic person in the room, right? Because um, a lot of people, specifically also strategy consultants, like like that like exotic part of you. So that's how I got into consulting. And I did that for a few years. And then the, the, the first internet, the first real internet hype happened, right, in 99. And, um, and I decided that I needed to be part of that. I thought the whole world was going to change. Everything was going to be different. And I decided if I, if I, I was like 29, if I don't become part of that right now, I'm, I'm really missing out. Yeah, so, first internet banks as well, eh, around that time. Yeah, right. The very first internet banks. I don't know. We, I don't think we know anything about them anymore. But um, and interestingly enough, for example, stock trading on the internet was one of the very first. Yeah, things well, I went business. to CE Trade when it was still sitting on orange crates. Exactly. 1996, 97. Right, and so people forget that, right? But in '95, E Trade went public already, yeah. so they were really one of the first ones. So that was that was the earliest fintech, and we we don't really think of that as fintech anymore, but uh, it was. Anyway, so. I started uh, two two different companies at the same time, and we got everything funded. Of course, it was it was really. If, if people think that funding is going weird right now, that was really really weird days. And one of them, we started managing ourselves with my by two best friends. And at some point, we were the darlings of the Dutch. Um, internet uh, world specifically when we survived the whole first internet bubble but then we didn't survive in the end and um, then I realized how tough um, how tough it can be to be an entrepreneur yeah it was an enormous learning uh, and I was also I was so done with being an entrepreneur I thought I could never do this again I was like empty I might so I went back to uh, we as we called it at that time B2C back to consulting you had B2B B2C back to banking back to consulting so I went back to <laughs> consulting um, and did that for a few years uh, it's, it, that felt like a really short time and then a, a, a buddy of mine called me and he left me a, a short message and he said you, I have a startup and you need to do this and I like, couldn't reach him for a week but I knew that there was something there, and and it was. So I I, um, I joined this um, startup started by a few Dutch guys, uh, and it was called Zeko. At yeah. the time, it was not yet called Zeko, but it became Zeko. And the whole play was doing online trading. So what E Trade started yeah. in the, in the, in the mid nineties or in the early nineties. And um, and to uh, and to, but to do that like for for free no commission yeah. so we started that uh, and it was a difficult ride the whole financial crisis hit but the end is that uh, that that became a, a pretty good company not as big as Robinhood is now some of you no. might know that they do what we did but they're now worth five billion so they've done they did something a little bit better um, and uh, so I did that for four years in, in LA in San Francisco uh, that's where we started that and although we were all 
guys from Amsterdam, we, we started it there. Uh, and then after uh, those years, we had a team of 120 people and, and everybody was basically better at doing that than we were because we actually knew nothing of online brokerage, uh, both me and my, uh, my partner, Jeroen Vett. That was so, any, and we decided to go back to the Netherlands. Um, and I took a year out. Uh, I took my family to Bali. We lived there for a year, and we came back. And it was in the middle of the financial crisis. And then um, Willem uh, Willemstein, who uh, who ran Folsti Capital as his family office, and who was a very uh, important investor for us as Iseco, um, so I knew him well. He asked me to join him and to actually yeah. build Folsti to what it is right now, um, a fintech VC. So that was in 2011, and we've been doing that. Uh, since then and build a pretty nice portfolio in our 13 companies uh, all over the fintech space, mainly in Europe and Africa, but we we had Zeco in the US and we have one investment in uh, in Asia. Um, and since January, we are a fund. We, um, we are actually no no longer a pure family office. We are, we are a, a fund. A and, fund. Yeah, yeah, a real VC fund. Uh, and we have now three partners. We, we added one partner who used to run uh, Traking. So, yeah, um, and we are, um, we're up and running and uh, having lots of fun. Hey, so, so um, Velocity Capital slash you, uh, and, I, and I refer to you, so you invest in Europe, in the US, Asia, Africa, so pretty around the globe, right? So, so what's your take on the various continents in terms of technology, trends, themes, or, or challenges they mm. try to crack? I mean, it, I know it's a broad question, but can you take us around the globe and, and our listeners and see the differences and Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think so. We are we are deepest in in Africa, uh, where we have three investments, and in Europe actually. And I think Europe and US are quite comparable. Uh, Asia may be a bit different, but let me start with Europe and Africa as, as the emerging markets against the developing world. If you look at fintech and you you look at uh, say the European space, but the same in the US, um, it's 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 almost a convenience play, right? So. It's uh, it's actually making making what was difficult, making it smoother and making it super convenient. Yeah. And it's about UI. It's about like really catching that ultimate experience that make, for example, payments disappear. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and uh, and and uh, and that's a, and that's a, and that's a play, and it has turned out to be a huge play, right? We didn't know this, and it turned out, and, and it almost—I mean—it feels like that wave is still is still going and it's still going strong. Uh, but you see, it with banking as well, right? It's like how how to let banking disappear. Let yeah. banking banking is should be in everything from banks to banking. Uh, yeah, but to you know why, why why should we deal with banks doing that or with the institution or with difficult UIs? So now you go to Africa. In Africa, there's a billion people. And 250 million of those have a bank account and the rest doesn't have a bank account. Now, I mean, maybe not everyone, uh, there's babies there and old people and whatever. Not all people have bank accounts, but I mean, there's some people will not have a bank account. But the the basic thesis for Africa is those people are not connected to uh, the financial system and they should be um, because not being connected is one of the real reasons of being, pov- uh, being yeah, poor. Yeah, it's lifting them of out poverty. of poverty, really. Right. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that will happen. So that in itself is a, is a great movement, but it's also an amazing market opportunity. And it has nothing to do with convenience. Maybe convenience at the lowest level, as in not standing in, an, uh, like in a four-hour queue to pay for your school or not giving your money to a bus driver to take it to your village to bring it to your, to your family and your wife. Right? But it's, it's extremely basic. It is like making a payment possible 
uh, from one person to the other or from you to a school uh, or being able to get a micro loan for your business. Mm -hmm. So what we see in the emerging market is that in, in, in short, it's like a convenience play into an absolutely need to have and like game changer play, which also carries uh, like a total um, uh, leapfrog, right? Because uh, so most Africans that will connect to, uh, to the financial system will not connect through a bank. Now there might be a bank in the background needed. Actually, if you look over Africa, most cases, even with M-Pesa, there is a bank somewhere, right, that yep. holds the money. Oh, there's definitely but, a bank, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but, but the bank is not your interface to that experience anymore. Now, they're not going to suffer from multi-channel approaches. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which have been yeah. very costly, indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. so I think, I think that's the most interesting one. And then in, in, in Asia, of course, you had the same kind of leapfrog, but it's, and, and, and there it's very much driven by the messaging platforms, right? And so, it's uh, that there's maybe the convenience and the need to have uh, together. Like if people, if like all of us, we all have email, right? And and we are hooked on email. We nobody loves email. We're hooked to it. It's hard to get off. Like in China, when people started doing messaging, they didn't have email as as their, as mm -hmm. their first mm -hmm. platform. So they mm -hmm. started. Everybody was used to, to. That's the way they communicated. And then it turned out that those are great platforms to get all introduce all kinds of of. Uh, and, and do these platform plays leave room for? Uh, let's say, you know, uh, investors like you who are not sort of local to the Asian market. Well, and so so we made one investment in, in, in Asia very early on. And uh, the reason why we haven't made more investments in Asia is not that Asia is not super interesting. But we, we realize that, one, you have, of course, you have, made, you have opportunities everywhere, right? So it's, you have to make choices. But if you want to be serious... Uh, also about Asia, you need to commit. You need to really, really commit. And you, yeah. we, so we basically need to have a partner in, yeah. in Singapore or in Hong Kong. Be in the market. Uh, and we, we really needed to be there. Yeah. And, we, and in the end, we never got there. And, it's, and that is basically, and I would all also say, that's Asia outside of China. Because yeah. China, as an as investor like us, to think that we could be successful in China, maybe only with a China like local partner that is pure Chinese, in a fund for funding, yeah. That, that, that we, uh, that's just not realistic, right? No. It's, it's so, so different, so. Okay, okay. And, and so we, we made a trip around the globe, but then uh, sort of a trip around um, the, the tech hypes. Um, do you get excited when people say like, oh, you've got to be in crypto or this is blockchain and therefore it's valuable? You know, you, I mean, I don't need to explain to you how the world works. Or do you say, you know what, I'm more interested in the sort of more profound underlying technologies. So like this week we were making a plea for the whole nano quantum computing that's coming out of the lab and into applied science and applied business. Do you have a view on the, on the tech trends, so to speak? Yeah, yeah, I do. So I, I think that well, so let's start with crypto because that's, of course, the big thing happening in, in um, well, the, the, the biggest kind of out of nowhere, almost new thing that everybody say could kill everything or could take over everything. And it will probably not. But I can tell you a few years ago, we were kind of, we were looking at this like we are totally missing this boat because you know, like, we are not crypto people. It's not happening where we are. It's the risks are huge. I mean, it, it, it feels like, but it also feels like that if you're in fintech and you're not like doing anything with, and I'm talking yeah. crypto specifically now because crypto is money, right? For, for large parts. Yeah. That I think we're a bit more relaxed about that. And, 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 and we are, well, what we've been given is time, right? So everybody thought this, could, this, this would 
be really fast and people were constantly talking, well, we are like 1998 in the internet. So if you hear uh, Mark Andreessen talking, he's like, that was like two months ago. Uh, it's probably 1993, right? We're still, we don't have Yeah, it's have as I always say, it's cases. the internet before we had a browser. Right, and we're still there. <laughs> so, and remember that two years ago, Absolutely. we thought that we were like going into no, 99. Right. But, so, uh, so there is time. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I've been, I've been a, bit, a bit of a Bitcoin uh, maximalist uh, from pretty early on. And I've, I've really thought that Um, uh, that uh, an, an asset class uh, just uh, uh, as Bitcoin could have value in itself, right? Even if it never becomes, um, uh, if it's only a store of value and it never becomes a real payment instrument, then it could be super valuable. Like for me, it's very simple. I think that we're getting now to the fact that like Bitcoin and we thought crypto, but I think it's, it's Bitcoin, maybe a little bit Ethereum, gets to be an asset class that if you're a serious investor, Can you really have a portfolio without a little bit of that in it? Well, then the simple calculation becomes if 1% of the world has a little, uh, of, of all the, the money yeah. in the world has a little, the institutional managers have a little bit of uh, Bitcoin. So I think it's not a hype. I think it will happen, but I think we'll all have a little bit of time. But I, I do believe that blockchain technology, and there's a crypto element to that, I yeah. think uh, somewhere, and that makes it powerful, uh, will have as big an impact as the, as the internet had. Let's uh, talk about money, right, and investment. So we increasingly hear rumors and rumbles about slowing down, recession, hype, bubble. Um, what's your view and, you know, do you think there's a bubble? And if yes, when will it uh, explode? Yeah, so, so I'll answer that. Let me first say one, one thing, which is interesting on, on the whole crypto and thing, is that And there's also Andreessen who said, we forgot to put money in the, in the browser. That was the biggest mistake we ever made. We didn't put money in there. So this is a fintech podcast and you know, we're all in that. And I think you know, if that happens and if that works, if we really could make money an integral part of the internet, right, that, is, that is huge about trends and things, but we're just not It's there. fine so, in the browser, yep. yeah. So um, um, yeah, so your question is, where are we uh, at high level? It, this is a really weird thing. I think that if you would have asked me Uh, like a year ago, I think the story of me and many people would have said, "We are now, you know, we're we're going we're going to plateau, and this might hold a little bit, but this can't keep on going, right? We'll fall off." Um, and you hear it now a little bit again, but it, it's almost like we didn't we didn't feel, uh, fell, fall off at all, <laughs> and now it feels like that everybody's like, "Well, this will go on forever," but of course that is also not true, right? We know that can't happen, so. All right, so so, but um, uh, you know, you as wanna, an observer, the universe, like, he, <laughs> like, like no, like you are, you know, they have huge valuations, but no clear outlook of profitability. So how long can, can that, that continue? Yeah. So um, I so I, I think that like the companies that are being built right now are super real, right? It's hard to say that Uber is not real. I don't know how about you guys. I use it all over. I use it in. I went to the first time I went to Lagos. Uh, you needed like guys with machine guns next to you. Now you go to labor, you take an Uber, right? Yep. And, and it's safe. <laughs> it's actually like there's still people that think that you need all that security, but you, you can just take Ubers in Nigeria. You can take Ubers in Kenya. You can take Ubers in in you know in Asia, all over the world. Uber is real, right? And that there's an enormous amount of value in that. That's also real. So, well, is it 20 billion, 40 billion? And the valuations might be high, and and we might might have you know really high expectations of 
of what that might be as a business. But I think rightly so. I think these will be big businesses that will be profitable and there will be, you know, kind of a way okay. how to find it and where they yeah. can be profitable. Okay, we've got um, a little bit more time and I definitely want to keep some time for your hot passion that we're going to talk about. But just one, you know, I'm an open banking babe, as some people call mm. it. You know, I'm not sure about the babe, bit, but I really have a passion for open banking. What do you think is the biggest opportunity in open banking? And let's mm. keep that short and we can move on to the fun part. Yeah. So, so I think the biggest thing in open banking is what we kind of spoke about before, how to make banking disappear. And we're not there yet, but like in the end, uh, like, do we really, we need banking, but do we really need banks, right? There's people that make the best kind of UIs and, and, and um, experiences uh, that we all want and need. And Uber is a good example of that. I love it that there's no money in there. Now, there is that, that, that can happen on, at scale. If, uh, like, for example, in Europe, PSD2 happens, people can start making these, uh, these, these beautiful experiences on that. Now, we're not there yet. Oh. Uh, and I, I don't think that banks are, are not going to play in that. I think some banks are going to play in that. Some banks need to be the infrastructure for others who play in that. But I think that will be, uh, that will be huge. Yeah. And on that note, I agree with you, but I also still think... You and I see that because we look at banks as businesses, but people will also look at banks as sort of safe houses. Huh? Mm. And so the whole fact that they are regulated, et cetera, et cetera, it still remains important. So I do think that there is, with you, a place for banks. I just think that there's, you know, the gap of opportunity for them, the window of opportunity is, is drawing nearer. So they really have to get their act together. Uh, yes, yeah, so next to be totally years. clear, I'm not of that school that say that banks don't have a future. I think banks have an amazing future, right? Yeah. I think that the role of the banks will change. I think that not all banks will make it and yeah. that this trend will actually help that make that happen. But I think in the end, as you know, the holder of accounts, as the balance sheet, as, as the big piping, as the infrastructure for sure, and then some might actually make it to be a the, platform, a, a platform and in that experience. But that is, there are banks are needed for that. Yeah. And I think governments will just, will demand that banks are doing this, right? So that's the... Well, and the beauty is, of course, with the PSD2 regulation, fintechs, because people think it's some sort of wild west. It's not. You know, fintechs have to be regulated as well. So that's the good news about Europe, that we have very, very decent regulation. Guys, I need uh, to interrupt this because oh, we're talking about regulations again. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. So time for some fun things. So um, you're one of the first guys, I know at least, that went to Burning Man. So can you please explain for the listeners what Burning Man is and obviously also how you wind up there? Yeah, so that's, that's interesting. So we we we, uh, we went to um, to live in, in in LA first, and the first person we uh, we hired, we recruited was our marketing manager, and uh, so he came over, and we had we all small kids, and they they came over, and they they came for a lunch, and it ended up being a dinner, and and we had lots of fun and many beers, and then at some point he he loosened up enough to to. Tell me, tell us about Burning Man, and we. Had so, no, what year was never, that? What, what year was this? This, this what is year? 2007. Okay. 2006. Sorry. Okay. And and we had never heard of it, and and what he told us about what he what he told us about Burning Man about how it's this city in, in the middle of the desert that basically arises for one week a year. And there's no economy, meaning there's no money. You can't buy anything. It's not a barter uh, society. It's it's uh, it's uh, it's gifting. So you can take everything you need, and there's really nothing there. And, and you need 
to realize it, it's it's a desert where it almost freezes at night and where it's more than 40 degrees during the day. It's Nevada, isn't so it? It's yeah. Nevada. So it's 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 really tough environment. I mean, way tougher than people think. It's tough, and people go there and they they live like how they can dream to live. So that means for some people. We call them naked guy. There's more of them than you think. <laughs> they dream about walking uh, around naked all the time. Okay. Um, and if they only wear a t-shirt, which are which are not good ones, they, we call them shirt cockers. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, anyways, but the uh, so everybody there's people that build spiders that are f- four meter high with eight legs and they're robots and they go on it. There's the there's, uh, and, and you take what you know. need and you share that. So, you, or you that's take what you need. You, you either go by yourself, you go by a camp, you you take care of yourself, and everybody takes something to share. And and but then also, if you just walk into someone else's camp and they are eating dinner, I mean, there's no way that you won't be invited to to have dinner with them. Yeah. So the whole atmosphere is, and that's the big. Can I say mindfuck on this thing? Yeah. Uh, the, the big mindfuck is that that. This can exist. Yeah. So you are in and at scale, right? When I went for the first time, it was twenty five thousand people. Now it's seventy thousand people, and the whole thing functions. So there's no police, there's no rules, there's no. Uh, everybody does exactly what they want to do. There's no the mess things. when you leave. And and everybody, there's no mess. You clean up your own mess, and everybody's nice and likes each other, and it's the easiest thing to get hugs, and it's it's great. Hey, and so so for you personally, so you went back like. A lot of times. So personally for you, so on the whole spectrum of people walking naked still, I don't know what they do. But um, so for you personally, what, 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 why, yeah, so, what is So you? one of the things which is interesting, I went in 2006. And at that time, everybody around me told me, oh, it's too late for Burning Man. No, oh, that's so good because it started like in so the early passe. 90s. So passe. And they're still saying that. Like it's every time it's like, well, no, I can't do Burning Man. But we even uh, have mini Burning Mans now in, in the Netherlands. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that might be. Pop-up Burning Man. It's a pop-up Burning Man. It's not the real I'm, thing. I'm not judging up at all. I think no. uh, lots of, people have lots of fun Let there. But anyway, so, so for me, it was... No, it was really, it was a super eye-opener. It was, it, it really opened me up to what it can be to be... Uh, to be really creative. It right? sounds a bit libertarian as well. It's it's totally libertarian. You okay. have, but you have like you have the socialists there, and you have the libertarians there, and there's no way of doing Burning Man. There's no like everybody. So I, we always ask in the beginning when we were there. So how should we do this? And the, this guy is called Sabin, and his wife is called Megan, and they were like, "How do you want to do it?" Yeah, like, oh, help me out. But so what do we wear? What do you want to wear? And that's the that's <laughs> the whole spirit of it, and 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 the whole creative thing of that is that spark that um, has had real influence on okay. me. Okay. Right. Hey, and uh, so you have a can you the listener just one anecdote for you know your best you know you mm. went there ten times, twenty, twelve times that you're willing to share. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, just so, adding that in no, view I mean, of the me, naked man on the t-shirt. Yeah, let me, let me, yeah, yeah, let me give you the weirdness of the whole thing, right? So when we went there, I went there with four, with three buddies, and we came from the Netherlands. We went in this camp, and and we were it was one of our first days, and we were driving as what well, this in the desert, and there's the camp, but then you can keep on keep on on your on your bike, you can keep on going on your bike on your bike, and it's like endless. Because it's the desert. So at some point, we were in the middle of the desert, and we had heard of them, but we had not experienced them. Like a dust storm happened, and they called them a whiteout. And a whiteout is literally you can't see your hand in front of your eyes. And so that's why everybody, if you look at pictures, people wear yeah. these ski masks and stuff, but you can't see anything. 
And it's freaking scary. I mean, we were there, the four of us, we were holding each other because at some point you almost don't know what's up or out. And it lasted and it lasted and we walked and we had no clue which way we walked. And then at some point we walked into something that was an artist had made in the middle of the, of the, of the desert of Playa, had made a swimming pool with no real water in it. And it had, it was like as big as a real swimming pool or like a swimming pool that that rich people yeah. would have in their garden, right? Yeah. And it had deck chairs and it had a little bar and there were people in the deck chairs sitting no there and there were people making cocktails and we just sat down and we had cocktails in the swimming pool uh, next to the swimming pool in the middle of the whiteout and we had the best time ever. And that was when I realized this thing is totally crazy. And, yeah. and that artist built it like out in the middle of nowhere. And you know why he built it? So that we would find it. If we would bike there and just... Like, find the swimming pool. Find the swimming pool. This is amazing. Okay. All right. Well, I do think this sort of thing sets you up to be uh, successful in life. You're going to definitely have to be agile and adept and be ready to change when you go there, I think. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 it, I would, everybody should go, but it's, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's actually tough and that makes it so, uh, so attractive. beautiful as well. That makes it so attractive. It's, uh, yeah. Cool. Hey, I think we have to, uh, wind up here. So, uh, so Alar, so, uh, where can people read up, uh, and read about your work and what you have done? All right. So we have, the website is philosophyfintech.com. Yep. Um, and that, uh, that basically tells about what we do and uh, our portfolio companies and who we are. People can find me on LinkedIn at uh, Allard Luchsinger. Um, and that's probably a site around Burning Man, if people want to know of more. Of course, there's <laughs> burningman.org. People can go there. You won't find me on that site, of course. But <laughs> I'll have a look anyway. Uh, Thank you. So are you curious which mu- music we can favorite Alex brought with him? Check it out on www.fintechcappuccino.com slash Allard Luchsinger. So, Allard, thank you for joining us here today at the kitchen table in the Fintech Cappuccino podcast. And thank you for listening to Fintech Cappuccino. Don't want to miss another cup? Subscribe to our podcast via Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen to your podcast. And please give us a like or a review so many more Fintech Cappuccino lovers can find us. So please join us again in a few weeks, Saturday mornings at nine. We'll have the coffee ready just the way you like it. Have a good good weekend. weekend.